I'm not gonna fucking lose playing pussy ass football. Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. That was a hell of a divisional round of football. I'm looking forward to breaking down each and every one of those games. So, hey, we got Connor here. We got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks? Free. Free at last. The government has announced the end of COVID, and mm. therefore everything is now completely back to normal, which will definitely not backfire in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, interesting decision. This is my second victory over COVID, having already experienced <laughs> true, victory over COVID in Iraq yeah. in April 2020. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. I was uh, I actually went down to the Woolshed on Sunday to watch the possible last throws of Tom Brady in the NFL. Who knows? Yeah, made for very exciting watching. As you can imagine, there was very vocal people on both sides in the pub while that one was going down. It hasn't changed anything too major yet. It does mean that it's probably easier to... To arrange to go for a pint after work given that the pubs no longer close at like last orders at half seven to be honest like when we were over in london uh, for the game it did surprise you how quickly you kind of got used to things being normal for lack of a better term like look assuming that nothing huge happens on the covid front like a new variant or stuff like that then yeah you might be surprised how quickly things kind of return mm. to their status quo because that is also another one we're keeping an eye on for uh, what exactly we'll be doing for the super bowl i was speaking with some people sunday night about how there is one or two venues who might be doing a, a thing for it but we'll see but no it should be should be good fun i suppose we'll pop in and look at some of the news there's not a ton because obviously it's a bit quieter this time of year coaching carousel continues to move new york giants have hired buffalo assistant gm uh, jeff Schoen to be their general manager obviously happy with his work with buffalo to be honest if you're sitting in new york and you're loading up north and you're looking at players that they have coming through and the roster they've built and then you're looking at what the giants have had for the last five or six years i would probably just be going yes please give me some of that like Buffalo, they, they had a huge turnaround in that team, obviously starting with the, the drafting of Josh Allen and all of the additional pieces that they put around them, ranging from like good drafting of guys like Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox in later rounds to you know big trades like for Stefan Diggs. Overall, looks like a pretty good track record. Had a pretty good track record. He came over from Miami back in the day, and they were pretty good at picking at that point. Uh, the rest of the team, maybe not so much, but the picks were generally pretty solid. So, yeah, they're probably going, well, look, why wouldn't we get this guy in? And, of course, it might have an effect on the open coaching position they have there in the Giants, maybe giving a preference to someone like Brian Dayball, the current offensive coordinator of the Bills. Certainly uh, nothing wrong with that offense in the playoffs. So yeah, interesting times ahead. I think in the next week or so, we'll probably start getting the deluge of uh, head coaches coming in and GMs getting in. But for Mm. now, things are right down to those kind of finalists and stuff like that. We've had a few other small bits of changes so McAdoo's been hired as offensive coordinator for Carolina Don Martindale Wink has left Baltimore Ravens three years as defense coordinator with them nine years with that team I'd imagine he'll be getting a lot of phone calls Pittsburgh's defensive coordinator Keith Butler has retired six seasons as their defensive coordinator and 18 seasons with the team Jesus they really just have people there for their careers Seattle got rid of Ken Norton Jr their defense coordinator he's been there for three years and frankly somewhat underwhelmed during that period so those are kind of just a few of the moves around there any of them catch your eye or will we just leave them to off-season talk well i think wink martindale is it's a harsh one i mean they weren't great this year but i mean the ravens have had a good defense for a long time it's kind of part of their thing and i mean the problems the ravens had this year were multiple you've got to do with 
injuries and COVID and a number of different things. I think if he needed a scapegoat, I'm not quite sure he was the guy to scapegoat. But yeah, as you say, he will be, someone will pick him up almost certainly because he's he's quite a good defensive coordinator, I think. McAdoo obviously became a bit of a joke as he was the head coach of the Giants, but had been a pretty solid offensive coordinator turning that offense around in his two years as offensive coordinator. That's why he got the job in the first place, of course. But just interesting, Carolina, there were reports earlier that Matt Rule, when he fired Joe Brady, that the ownership expected him to get in a, a prestige name, a defensive coordinator. I'm not quite sure if Ben McAdoo qualifies for that, but look, rule is probably in place at this point. It's not going to change. Uh, so just an interesting note there. And yeah, just to mention, obviously, the Seahawks fan, Ken Norton Jr., his defenses have been terrible. Bend, don't break. It's the philosophy of the Pete Carroll defense. Well, they bent so much that they basically <laughs> broke is how it ended going. And yeah, they've just been disastrous. Not any fair, the, the quality of personnel compared to the Legion of Boom Area is you know, different class altogether. But even given that context, he was bad as a defensive corner in the, with the Raiders. He was bad with the Seahawks. Just seems to not be up for the job, to be honest. Let's have a little look at some of the injuries that happened as well. So these are just one or two ones that are playoff relevant. Kansas City safety Tyrion Matthew has a concussion. He's uncertain for the AFC Championship game. Reports today are that he's looking like they're expecting him to be good, but it's early in the process and these things can drag on. So be hard to tell. And San Francisco's offensive tackle Trent Williams has injured his ankle and Thibaut Samuel has injured his knee. Both are expected to play in the NFC game. I believe the explanation of Debo Samuel's injury was someone went helmet first into the side of his knee. He's probably going to limp for a day or two, but we'll put him out there and play on Sunday. I would imagine to see him in there, but that sounds horrible to me. Probably obviously, easier when you only have two games left to play. Like. Obviously, it'd be a big loss for Kansas City if Tyrion Matthew is out. His, him being knocked out with a concussion, you could see it in parts of that game. There's an awful lot of, oh, wow, how, how did they manage to throw so many touchdowns to this one person? Well, it looks quite a lot like there's a man called Dan Sorensen covering him a little bit too often here for my liking. Not the one where he basically juked out my yeah. shoes, I think, was it? Yeah. <laughs> he just fell over. <laughs> okay, That I was pretty that funny. One, probably not Daniel Sorensen's fault. Oh, do you probably. know what? Do you know, probably, <laughs> probably is somehow, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's always a safe bet that it's Sorensen's fault. So I suppose then let's go and have a look at the games that just happened in the divisional round. Okay, so first up, we'll go kind of chronologically. Uh, Cincinnati at Tennessee, 19 to 16. McPherson was four or four in his field goals, and he sinks a 52 yarder to walk off and win. Tannehill didn't look fantastic, 220 touchdown and three interceptions. An interception, 20 seconds left, just made sure that the game was done. Yeah, Brown had 142 yards. It was fine. Henry had one, I think, maybe two, but I remember one good run but for the most part just didn't seem to really get going at all didn't really have the hot hand and nothing was really happening for them in that run game so they just didn't get the king henry that they wanted foreman looked a little bit better in it but yeah it just just nothing was really happening burrow looked fine he got good yardage if not getting the kind of the touchdown results he'd want but their offensive line it just went back to the worry coming into the season for them was that they didn't have the protection in place he was intercepted and he had nine sacks in this game like it was pretty pretty horrible looking to be honest now he toughed it out and still looked very exciting and good in it and you could see again the difference between him and quarterback play from the other side but this was a gutsy gritted out win for Cincinnati and it's probably going to give them a lot of confidence going forward to take that much of a beaten and still be able to win uh, is is always quite impressive although you would have liked to have seen a little bit more offensive output rather than have to rely on four field goals to be able to put this one to bed I think a great philosopher once said that it's not about how hard you can get hit it's about how hard (laughs) you can get hit and get back up again and that was the story of Joe Burrow in this game. Because this is a game where, you know, 90 plus percent of quarterbacks, after getting the punishment that they were getting from Jeffrey Simmons and this Tennessee defensive line, 
would have started panicking. They would have started retreating within their shell. They would have stopped doing what they needed to do to extract the yards that were needed to, to grind this game out. Because based on the domination of that offensive line, the Bengals had no right to win this game. And they definitely got assists, as we'll talk about in a moment, from the other other side. But I think it, it is worth noting that like we've loved Burrow this season, like thinking back to that Kansas City game, uh, you know, maybe relevant in future talk, you know, in sense that he, you know, when he, he, he's been under pressure all year, getting sacked all year. But most games he's got around that by basically being fearless, just throwing the ball up for his guy and just kind of doing the 50-50s. But the amount of pressure that he was under, he wasn't even getting that chance. And the Tennessee defense is pretty solid, so you can't really just kind of do that much anyway. So he was getting the ball out very quickly, very almost Brady-esque like in that sense. Uh, but he was relying that his guys would get it done and he was willing to spread the ball around enough to the other guys to make sure that they couldn't just focus in on Jamar Chase, who had over 100 yards here, but most of that came on like a, a like a very short touch that Jamar Chase just made the best of. And that was a situation where throughout this game, there were so many situations that, yes, Burrow got sacked, but other situations where the Tennessee Titans had him dead to rights, but he would kind of juke them out, get the ball to Jamar Chase, and then Jamar Chase would juke another couple of guys. There was like a third uh, down conversion uh, late on this game that particularly stands out in that situation. So... Given what we've seen there, it's a testament that he managed to get over 300 yards. I think a testament to like how tough and gritty that this team is. Because they didn't have any run game. He was doing that out of himself. And for Cincinnati, yes, they've had now two playoff games where they've had to rely on Evan McPherson to be perfect. Um, had a lot of field goals against the Raiders last week. A lot of field goals now. But given the context, given the situation he's going into, that's maybe not surprising. And I have, once again, no doubt that if they were facing a team that was more explosive and they had to get touchdowns, that they would probably increase the aggressiveness of their play play calling increase their aggressiveness on fourth down but I think like against Vegas last week they probably realized that Tennessee are a team that you don't have to play that way you can play a bit more uh, not conservatively but play the numbers a bit more basically you know Joe Burrow a guy under under intense pressure sitting up and doing what's need to be done to get the team through it and then you look at the other side and you look at perhaps some other quarterback who are who are beloved like in the next game who wilted under the pressure and Ryan Tannehill like we've talked all year and I in particular have been particularly going on Ryan Tannehill he's had a terrible terrible 2021 season he's just been awful and yes there's been injuries and yes there's been whatever but the offensive line is pretty solid so if you have that that you should be able to do something have you, have you at any point looked forward to what's about to happen to them as well with the really really ridiculous contract that they have Tannehill under he's due nearly yeah. 40 million next year yeah and like look that, that made sense at the time he got him because he looked like a guy who was a did it a safe <laughs> Well, I don't it, it think was, it ever made sense to pay him that much money. Well, when you look at the when you look at the amount of the contract over the course of it, like like obviously there's a jump in the cap that happens. To the yeah, yeah, like, like the this, this year he's is, cheap. He was a, a solid point guard type quarterback, like your Alex Smith type, who you know j- didn't make mistakes. But this year again and again he made huge mistakes. And then in the biggest game of the year, when their defense was dominant and was holding Burrow in check, like Burrow, like as I say, fair play to Burrow getting over 300 yards, but he was getting the absolute shit kicked out of him. When you have AJ Brown, when he was over open being you know getting like 50 60 yard chunks and there was a couple of plays that he could have got Brian for that he didn't even get in this game despite Brian's nearly 150 yards Tannehill just shit the bed literally first pass throws an interception literally last pass throws an interception basically bookending a very very disastrous let's be honest performance for Tannehill like he he looked solid for parts you saw the old Tannehill he was doing the play action and he was letting the run game go but those key mistakes those are the difference between having a guy like Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen and having a Ryan Tannehill and why when you get to these high stakes especially in the AFC now given the quality of quarterback there is that it 
might not be enough. And obviously, the cap situation, they're kind of stuck with that. That that's how it is. And then just a small note on the Derrick Henry situation. I kind of alluded to in the preview last week that maybe Derrick Henry would actually be a blocker for someone like Dante Foreman having a big performance. And look, Derrick Henry had 62 yards and 20 carries. Foreman had 66 yards and four carries. Maybe given the relative explosiveness of the players, I know they're different types of running backs. You're trying to punish the defense with and stuff like that. But maybe in a situation, you know, with DJ Reader being so effective at stopping that kind of close interior run game, getting a guy like Foreman who could make the most of the cases where you did have a hole might have made mm-hmm. more sense. But look, I completely understand it's Derek Henry, King Henry, etc. But uh, in this case, the, the loyalty did not pay off. Yeah, Sean, like I was going to say, I, we'll, we'll talk about it in the next game as well, but like Tennessee... It almost felt like the whole theory of either you get the rest and you're ready and you're prepared or you come in cold. And this definitely felt like cold to me. Like there wasn't much to this offense. There was a lot of mistakes. Is that really all that different from what we've seen from this team throughout the year? That since Henry went down, this offense has struggled a lot with only really A.J. Brown when he's been healthy being the big threat. And this was the same in this game. He was the guy who was making things happen. And other than that, you were relying on people like Foreman having big games or you were relying on Tannehill not making mistakes. So, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think we saw a team coming in cold versus a team that had just won a game and was hot. I mean, I think what we saw was two well-matched teams, right? I think throughout this game, we were like, these teams are fairly similar in terms of their quality, but one team has Joe Burrow as their quarterback and the other team is Ryan Tannehill. And you kind of felt as the game was progressing that maybe that would be the difference. And I, ultimately it was. You could tell that you could rely on Burrow to get things done, to get the, to move the ball down the field, whereas Tannehill was always liable to make a mistake. I don't know what it is with AFC South quarterbacks at the moment, but they always seem to make big errors uh, when the chips are down. And okay, two of the interceptions were tipped, but also he should be throwing them a lot better to prevent them being tipped in the first place. He let them down. I, as I said last week, I didn't think that Henry was going to be able to come back straight in as, as uh, into full form because, I mean, it's you're coming off a long injury. It's always going to take a while. And they did use him sparingly and Fitz is right. They probably should have leaned a little bit more on Dante Foreman, especially once it was evident that he was trying to make a name for himself, that he would not be forgotten. He was Every time he had the ball, he looked dangerous. But ultimately, this game came down to the fact, could the Tennessee pass rush get to Burrow enough to expose this? I mean, the, the offensive line problems the Bengals have are noted. I mean, we were we were talking about this for the entirety of Joe Burrow's time at the Bengals, is that the O-line is not strong enough to protect him and eventually they're going to have to draft quite heavily in that direction if they want to give him the protection that they need and they haven't done that yet and that is a worry in the kind of medium term if they don't fix that could be an Andrew I mean, Luck type it, situation he's already had one serious injury and you know a guy gets sacked nine times in a major playoff game is not going to be 100% the next week when you need him to perform like it's dangerous how little protection they're giving Burr at the moment and it's amazing what he can do despite that I mean a lot of that is obviously Chase and his kind of you miss one Jamar Chase tackle and that's the end of that play and he's going to go in for the touchdown a little bit's got fact with Mixon who they got the run game going but ultimately it was Burr who was a difference here whereas on the other side Tanhill screwed up and let them down and the Titans I mean they were always a little bit of a false one seed it got to do with the fact that the Chiefs had a that iffy part of the early part of the season the fact that Bills went missing for a number of games where they, they should have won the season I mean the, the Titans were basically a three seed who were disguised as, as a one seed and they got shown up they were never 
the most talented team in the world, especially without Henry at full force. And I'm just delighted the Bengals. I mean, who would we rather have watched play KC next week, this Bengals team or this Titans team? And I think you ask 100,000 NFL fans uh, and they would all say, I'd rather watch the Bengals and watch the Titans. I don't regret that we've lost this Titans team and I don't think we're going to miss much from not being there. I don't know if the Bengals are going to win next week because of the problems they have, but it's definitely going to be exciting to watch. No, overall, very exciting performance here. And yeah, we'll go from one first and see. Now, we all call that one correctly. We were Cincinnati across the board. We were certain that Aaron Rodgers was going to come in and be able to old serve and kind of continue on up to the next round. But no, San Francisco come in and surprise him in a... I would say probably the most surprising line of this game, like 23 points total, 13 to 10. Gould kicks 2-2 and wins as Debo basically is the offense again. 39 rushing, 44 passing and 59 in a return. He just about gets him over the line. San Francisco's defense kind of does the job for them, gets a fumble, gets five sacks, holds the guys to 250 yards. Like Particularly given what we've been able to see explosively out of this Green Bay team at times this season, you would have expected a little bit more here. But apparently once you start looking at the form book, this makes much more sense. Aaron Rodgers is 0-4 as a starter taking on the 49ers. I believe he's now the first player in NFL history to have lost four straight to any one team in the playoffs. It's but yeah, funny because of the draft history between. Yeah, because yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's still got Alex Smith in his head is the problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they basically froze him out after the first drive. Their special team blocked field goal, blocked punt. Like it was weird. Like there was moments where Rogers had great moments, and then there's just others where he just didn't have a fucking clue what to do. He seemed to only want to throw it to Devante Adams and no one else. And Joe. I suppose as well but like it was just there was no diversity to what they were trying to do they just almost felt like they were wandering in expecting sure we don't even need to worry too much about this this will be a handy one and kind of looking past the game and towards the championship game instead now the 49ers more power to them came in still got this offense that just is nothing apart from Debo Samuel still got a quarterback that you can't trust they've got a, a very reliable postseason kicker in Gould who's managing to keep them here and again they just win this surprising kind of dirty game where I've, I, I could never have told you that this was going to be will hold Green Bay to 10 points. Never have expected that, even in the highest point of what I thought that San Francisco 49ers defense could be. Because remember, we said it in last week's run, and we said it the week beforehand, this team essentially has no cornerbacks and is going up against passing offenses and somehow they're not getting success against them. And I still can't fully wrap my head around that. It's coaching, right? I think we, we've got to give the props to Shanahan and his team. Their coaching has been what's come out of this Niners team in the last few weeks and they've gone on this run. It's once they figure out the team they're playing against, and it does take them a little while, partly because it, it, it takes a while to figure out any kind of team from a defense versus offense point of view, and partly because Shanahan has this weird thing where he ha- has 24 scripted offensive plays to start the game, which is basically half of your plays you're going to run almost have already been pre-scripted. So the defense takes maybe a drive or two to figure out the offense, and then the offense takes about half the game to figure out, just give the ball to Debo Samuel and everything will be fine. It's weird that to, to criticize them in that sense, given how good the coaching is, but there are weird kind of deficiencies in the Niners that always makes games closer than it should be. This is a team that once they have you figured out, they're always going to defensively going to stop you as long as people like Bosa and Warner remain injury free, which that which they did in this one. And then offensively, you just got to hope that Jimmy G just doesn't get out, get in the way of uh, what it, what otherwise would be a great performance. This is a team that has one good quarter 
quarterback away in the 49ers are from being a really, really scary team. And there were times, I will admit, that Matt LaFleur was getting back into it around the kind of third quarter, early fourth. You kind of felt the counterpunching was coming. The Packers were figuring out what they could and could not work with. They realized that Adams was being double man, so they tried to use Jones a bit more. They tried to open up Alan Lazard and stuff, and they were starting to get somewhere a little bit and felt like it was turning into a chess match and you were wondering if Jimmy G was suddenly now the weakness in this situation, but Rodgers just never took that next step forward. And to maybe to an extent, this has been, aside from that one year where he won the Super Bowl, has this has not been the always been the story of, of Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs, is that when push comes to shove and he's been asked to carry the team on his back, in the big moments, he hasn't done it. There's There seems to be one of these games in every single one of the Packers' playoff runs for the last 10 years, a game where they come up against a team that pulls, pushes a challenge to them, and Rodgers occasionally plays well, he occasionally gets out the, the magic, but when it comes down to it, his team always finds a way to lose, and you have to at some point say that this is on him, that he doesn't have the... Call it, I mean, I know these things are supposed to be chimeral. There is no such thing as clutchness or whatever, that this is not, statistically doesn't bear this out uh, across the board in sports. But it does feel like, you feel like Tom Brady would have won this game if he was the Packers QB. He would have found a way to get it done and to win. Tom Brady almost won a game that his team went out of their way to lose the following day. Whereas here, the Packers were in a, were in a situation where they only really needed to score 17 points to win a game in Lambeau when you're the team that understands how to play in the cold and you should know what you're doing and, and everything. And they just didn't have that answer at the end. And they ha- ultimately, it came down to, okay, the special teams obviously are disaster zone and ultimately that was the thing that cost them because the San Francisco offense couldn't score either. The questions have to be asked and it looks like it might be the end of the Rogers experiment in Green Bay and wherever he ends up, be that Denver or wherever. The question has to be asked now, if we want to consider this guy to be one of the best ever, he's going to have to deliver in the playoffs more than just this one time that happened 10 years ago. It's starting to become a problem for him in terms of his legacy. For the Niners... Who knows where this team can can end if they get coached this well and they can figure teams out this well and they can keep Jimmy G from t- stopping t- making these incredibly dangerous throws that he seems uh, inclined to every once in a while. The Niners could go all the way if they if they just about hold it together. They have that kind of weird momentum thing that sometimes happens uh, in the playoffs. So who knows where that will happen with them. For the Packers, it feels like right back to square one and who knows what that team can look like next year. Well, there was some pushing and shoving about that afterwards at the press conferences where... Levan Rogers came out and said, "If he is to come back and playing, he won't want to be playing for a rebuild." And was definitely kind of making points about what does or doesn't need to change in that Green Bay team for him to stay there. So we'll be tracking that obviously in the off season. Adams is going to free agency as well. I think a load there is a load of free agencies and stuff coming up, so that team mm. is going into transition. Yeah, whether or not Rogers wants to be a part of it, which it sounds like he doesn't. And, and, obvi- and obviously, that would sound like the easiest route if you want to try and start attracting Rogers would be to I don't know pick up Devontae Adams. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, please come to us now, because they are very good friends. But yeah, I don't know. What did you think, Ron? Just for that point, just in context, they are about 50 to 60 million over the cap already. So they are in a lot of financial trouble. And there's a number of players on the defense and the offense, obviously headlined by Devante Adams, who I assume they'll try and tag if they can get away with it. Just a difficult situation for this team. This definitely felt like the all-in year. That's what we've been saying all year. Like literally before the season, Rogers was posting those screenshots from the, the last dance. It's a pretty fitting way for this era of Green Bay football to end. Like this Rogers LaFleur era has been so successful in the regular season multiple seasons with 13 plus wins just 
truly dominant, for the, except for the occasional chip under the armour you saw in the regular season, the inexplicable losses to team like the, the Lions in previous years. Yet, whenever they've gotten to the playoffs, they've just seemed to have fallen off a cliff. They seem to lose that shine, and it's inexplicable. Like, let's be honest. Like, they were at home here. It was a tough weather situation, a situation you would expect the Green Bay Packers would be at a major advantage to versus the 49ers. And, okay, look, the, the Green Bay special teams sucked here. They They lost the game objectively. They gave up the touchdown on the punt uh, block that's just unacceptable in the fourth quarter and of course <laughs> there was the block field goal just before the end of the first half but like let's be honest like you've got Aaron Rodgers you've got all this offensive talent you've got something which is supposedly like the, the best offense in the league you have the MVP like this is unacceptable to only score 10 points in the most important game of your season so far there's really just no excuses like you could talk about the fact that they had an offensive line injury and had to shuffle things around you can talk about AJ Dillon was missing there a guy who obviously would have been useful in these kind of tough conditions that emerged in the second half when the snow started coming in but like that's not good enough especially because you know your first drive basically went perfectly and on your second drive you look to be driving down as well but then you fumbled the ball and then it just seemed from that point on Aaron Rodgers decided okay I'm not trusting any of these guys except for Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams like literally the only other person to get a catch besides that sorry Lewis fumble was Alan Lazard one catch in the fourth quarter that's not acceptable it doesn't make any sense and that came fully to fruition in the final drive for Green Bay where Alan Lazard was wide open but he decided to take the hero shot to Devontae Adams and a lot of people have been comparing that to the Brett Favre era where Brett Favre's like it's all about me I am the hero I am the owner of this team and I will do what I want and the only guy that I trust to get it done is Devontae Adams and when you look at guys like Tom Brady or other guys who are elite quarterbacks like you look even like Josh Allen and, and, and Patrick Mahomes we talk about later they've got to where they were and the offenses that they put together by trusting the other guys in their team yes of course they lean on their stars as well but they don't lean into the sense of like literally have two catches <laughs> in the entire game to anyone outside of your two favorite weapons that's just it just gave me a sense that this guy all ego it's all stupid and of course there's all the context around the COVID stuff just not going there and for the 49ers like look they got lucky here like they they had to rely like they they scored literally six points using their offense in a game and they managed to win but look Jimmy G he, he only made one big mistake with the interception he had maybe another pass that could have been intercepted that's just Jimmy G but this wasn't the game where obviously he's going to make a big start but Debo Samuel let's just give a shout out to him again like obviously he only had around 80 yards in this game but at the, at the 50, 40 yard return that was important to get their momentum going and to get their first field goal but he is the engine of this offense like on their final drive when it looked like they were giving up they were on third and seven and they handed to Debo, basically just saying we don't want to give any time to Aaron Rodgers uh, to score a touchdown in his final drive. And Debo converts it into a first down, and then they convert that eventually into the winning field goal. And he is truly playing at a, at a, at a level that is ridiculous. And the fact that he was playing that while obviously hurt from pretty much the second half onwards and just limping around is just more of a testament to what a, a stud that guy is and if he's on your team and George Kittle was pretty solid here as well then I, I think you could definitely see them make another surprise and, and given their history against their opponent at the NFC Championship definitely shouldn't discount it completely but like look the 49ers it ain't pretty but it's working for now let's see if they can keep it up next up we have the Rams to Tampa Bay 30-27 to this was an absolute roller coaster it was not this close until it got right down to the bottom end of it wild game with two big cooper cup plays uh he went for 180 c and a touchdown with 42 seconds left to set up the winning field goal and stafford 
kind of put a few more of those complaints to bed. He did a pretty good job here, showed some metal, 360 and two touchdowns. And like, to be honest, the the reason that they were this close in the game is not on him. Like the mistakes were from other people. He had a botched snap that really wasn't his fault. This running back dropped the ball twice and I think a receiver dropped it another time, which is what allowed the Tampa Bay to come back from down by 24 points in the third quarter. Like, you know, Brady, it was very exciting in the in, in the bar because everyone was, you know, a combination of people were excited to see Brady lose. The other half were just screaming, don't count out, touchdown, Tomp. So we're looking at kind of, you know, 300 odd yards for him, but a couple of mistakes in the game that allowed them to kind of fall out. Like he had an interception, he had a fumble, and this was probably one of the most... Tom Brady looks as old as Tom Brady is games I've seen him done. To be fair, it's because they're playing a very good defense and they were battering him. The Rams defense were just really, really causing issues. But Tom Brady was missing throws. Even when he wasn't pressured, he was missing throws. His timing was off. Now, I don't know if that's to do with the fact that there's a lot of, you know, second string and backup players now playing at offensive skill positions for them at the moment or whatever it was. But this was not the crisp, clean performance that we've come to expect over the years. And even earlier in the season, even earlier maybe in the playoffs that we saw from Brady so it did seem like a much more down-to-earth performance from him than we would have expected and while it was a nice exciting comeback I don't think that's representative of the quality of the two teams that were out there I think this was definitely a game that felt like the Rams deserved yeah and it may have culpa on my side like last week in the preview I picked the Bucks to win this game and I said it would come down to Stafford making mistakes and he proved me completely wrong he was sensational in this game outside of like one early throw in the red zone that that could have been picked off he was basically perfect he was finding his receivers when they were open he was playing what was put out in front of him by this defense which Tampa Bay look they have a good defense and they were definitely stopping the run so there was no assist here coming from the run game like they were averaging under three yards a carry so as I said that, I've worked that part Stafford was the key for this offense but he came through with flying colors he showed that all the faith that was invested in him by investing all those draft picks to get him by the Rams was the right decision and it's the kind of thing where it's like this they won this game because they have Matt Stafford instead of Jared Goff and only because of the inexplicable mistakes happening from the rest of his team as I don't know like the mere aura of Tom Brady was inducing brain farts out of every other person except for Matt Stafford meant that you know this game could have should have been a blowout let's be perfectly frank but like I think the fact that they ended up in a situation where Tampa Bay pulled them all the way back from 27-3 down back to 27-27 and you know that stadium obviously in Tampa Bay is getting raucous and you got one last chance with 42 seconds to get it done and this was obviously a week where a lot of things were happening in the two minute uh, period at the end of the game yes the first play call really weird don't know what that was about but with the two next two plays to basically trust his guy Cooper Cup who once again was absolutely sensational outside of the fumble that he had uh, but like did these things happen he was you know just absolutely sensational and you know on the first play like it's almost like a yin yang thing on that final drive for them because the first play the the books play really soft and cup basically finds a soft area in the zone and then manages to juke someone out to actually get into the get to the sideline because they were out of timeouts at this point so very impressive uh, to get it done in those situations and then on the second play todd bowles inexplicably let's be honest but like obviously the last drive like you don't you've played soft and he's basically going i'm not gonna fucking lose playing pussy ass football even though I know Matt Stafford loves getting blitzed he's really good against the blitz so he blitzed the fuck out of Stafford although there might be some confusion on the defensive line about exactly they were doing because like this final drive even the last two minutes was incredibly hectic and that's where having a guy like Matt Stafford ended up being really important he basically went 
okay, if they're going to blitz me, then that means that Cooper Cup is one-on-one. Cooper Cup's going down the middle, throw it down to him, and it happened to me that he was being covered by the safety, and Cooper Cup, nine times out of ten, is going to win that battle. He gets the play, and then Matt Stafford, who obviously, being with the Lions, probably has a lot of experience of trying to have like last-minute comebacks and stuff like that. He was rushing down the field. He was like screaming at his guys. You know, he obviously wasn't going to do a, a fake spike in this case, of course. You know, he was rushing his guys down. They get down. They spike the ball. They kick the winning. Matt Stafford, great for pretty much all this game. And the only period where he was bad in terms of statistics was because McVeigh once again, was a little bit conservative, ran the ball a bit much, even though it wasn't actually working at all. And that's part of, along with side these turnovers that allowed Tampa Bay back into this game. But as you said, Tampa Bay were far and away for like, Nine, like everything outside like a like maybe half the fourth quarter the worst team like you know the the LA Rams defense was dominating this game like the the Bucks had more than the chances that they had to get this game tied multiple drives ending from the first half they were completely dominated uh, obviously the burst lip from uh, Tom Brady uh, got a lot of attention and no one makes me bleed my own blood and all that type of <laughs> stuff you know Brady was being dominated and by the time the third quarter was rolling around and that interception came it looked like he was just done that entire organization looked done he looked like he was sick of only having two guys that he could trust in mike evans and rob Gronkowski, and trying to get these like you know rookies or, or free agents or whatever like your scott like your tyler johnson's whatever to do anything it just looked like he didn't was, wasn't bothered with it to be honest and it looked like the, the entire organization just looked like a team that had run out of road for tristan Wirfs out and no antonio brown and no chris godwin it just wasn't like the dominance that they had last uh, postseason it just felt very different and it just seemed to be like the Rams just kept going again and again and of course Tom Brady he is the GOAT so when given multiple opportunities he's eventually going to break the dam and get them to that situation then allow them to tie up this game which was impressive in itself but there's no way that should have been allowed there's no way that he should have been in that situation in the first place and for the vast majority of this game the Rams defense was was the dominant force in this game like they are a scary unit looking right now it looks like Von Miller is getting back to being Von Miller we know Aaron Donald's an absolute stud we know Jalen Ramsey is great outside the, the one touchdown he gave to Mike Evans and yeah this is a defense that might just be peaking at exactly the right time and if Stafford has more games like this they, they definitely look like they might just live up to that Super Bowl favorite that everyone had them in the preseason so yeah very impressive for them they just need to uh, not kill themselves in the fourth quarter and they, they, they could definitely go all the way. If you want to talk about the impact of psychology or intangibles or ideas of clutch this game is is just an object lesson in in how sometimes sports just make absolutely no sense for for three quarters the rams were perfect like on both sides of the ball they were ridiculously good incredibly efficient offense i mean ronan's already talked about how good matt stafford was incredibly effective they were controlling the clock the o-line was performing magnificently things were going great on the defensive side they were pressuring the crap out of brady aaron donald was looking like aaron donald on steroids which is a, which is a crazy scary thing to comprehend von miller was was stepping up in, in a big way the only kind of issue was maybe the fact that jalen ramsey wasn't exactly winning his battle with mike evans but but that was like the one thing that wasn't going right and on the other side the books were just non-existent the, the de- defending against cup was all over the place they were had huge discipline issues it looked like all the injuries were catching up with them even brady was having a bad day and then somehow we get down to the end of this game and it's 27 all it was just like the rams just 
stopped playing and had this a massive meltdown where they went out of their way to try and throw this game away and they almost did and it only was because of the fact that they stepped up on that final drive and got the got the field goal away and they won it it was a game that makes no sense in terms of analysis because the first three three and a half quarters of this game are entirely separate from the madness that happened um, at the end it's te- testament to the the specter of brady or whatever the this kind of weird kind of supernatural force he seems to be able to conjure up sometimes just pull his teams through all the way not just make his own team better but make the other team shit the bed the fact that the rams got through this is i think going to be going to stem to them that they've had their meltdown they've had their disaster i mean you could see it written on their faces and you could see the headlines oh this rams team uber talented but they just don't have the mental fortitude to go all the way and they were inevitably going to have a situation where the where push came to shove and the going got tough they fell apart and they did fall apart but they still won the game which is the big thing that now they can go next week and they can go even in the super bowl and be like look we are a really good team if we hold things together we can go very far and even now we've had our we've had our little wobble we've had our moment where our playoffs should have ended inexplicably we should have had our we should be at home scratching our heads wondering what happened and yet we're still going on and now they have two home games basically to go all the way they got they got home in the NFC championship they got a, a game in the super bowl that's going to be in in their stadium there's nothing to stop them now except themselves in terms of the mental errors that they're capable of maybe and maybe Jalen Ramsey needs to remember to park his ego sometimes that he can actually get beaten in situations and therefore try to decide to actually work on his game a little bit more i, I could have an entire podcast about watching Jalen Ramsey this year and, and the weird way in which he's decided to be a d- defensive ubermensch but isn't actually quite as good as he thinks he is even though he's really really good but that that can be for a special <laughs> podcast somewhere down the line but if they can keep themselves in check the Rams proved in this game that they are good enough to win it all and they proved in the fourth quarter that they're also capable of absolutely having an utter meltdown and all I have to do is make sure that doesn't happen again and they're going to be a very tough team to stop because if you can stop a Tom Brady playoff comeback, then not, there is no force on the earth that can stand in your way of glory. Uh, I don't know, because I think we're about to talk about two ones that might be able to do that. <laughs> Buffalo, Kansas City, you said you wanted football. You got football here, 36-42 to 42 in overtime. Epic quarterback duel ends with an absolutely insane ending. Four lead changes in the last two minutes. Three touchdowns and a field goal. But the fourth quarter ending up with kind of backbreaking 13-second drive from Mahomes. Can't, you can't you can't you can't leave 13 seconds left on the clock can't leave 13 seconds it's just too much time to give them because they'll drive down that field for a field goal um Holmes was it's 370, ridiculous. 378 <laughs> three touchdowns 68 yards on the ground incredible performance from them and the buffalo defense was just was just wrecked by the end of it and just didn't really have anything it wasn't able to do anything in the overtime really against them with some very nice plays Hill went 150 in a touchdown Kelsey just shy of 100 in a touchdown the touchdown that ended the game Josh Allen also had an amazing game 329 yards four touchdowns 69 rushing yards I think he had yeah the the big one is that they, it all ran through Gabriel Davis which was a big surprise so the Chiefs obviously schemed specifically to try and take out Stefan Diggs from this game and succeeded Stefan Diggs caught like 50% of his passes and went for seven yards but in doing so they let Gabriel Davis go for 200 yards and four touchdowns against them which is worrying particularly when you think back to that Bengals matchup three weeks ago where they allowed Jamar Chase to go all over them as well 
But this was an incredible performance from both teams offensively. Defensively, there were some good moments and big stops here and there, but these were two offenses that were at the height of their powers, just going at each other. No, it was it was it was an incredible game to watch and great to, great to come back to. And there's a lot of returning to what you were worried you weren't getting beforehand. The kind of like Kelsey and Mahomes having a quick word before and going, they're leaving the middle of this free. If it's open, will I go for it? And then him shouting at the line, just go for it, go for it, and throwing it. It was a uh, lovely stuff to see. Lovely stuff to see. But yeah, heartbreak breaking for Buffalo who played the fucking shit out of this game as well and deserved Kansas City looking revved up and ready to go albeit that that defense still looks quite shaky all credit to the Chiefs they this is what they've been doing for years that they can pull it out and win and they've definitely got that championship mentality but I feel so sad for Josh Allen having watched that game I mean the, the thought that was running in my head partly because Tony Romo was kind of saying a similar kind of quote every once in a while was the Ric Flair thing to be the guy you've got to beat the guy he was in a situation where this was his moment to step up, lead his team to glory, and you knew he had to do it. He had to pull the magic out to to get over Mahomes, to, to get his team past their, their, their big rival, their big obstacle to success. And he did it twice. Twice he pulled out these amazing, huge, fantastic magic plays down the stretch. He pulled out two touchdowns that, that should never have happened and, and both times you were like okay that's it that's it he's won the game he's done the thing that we are going to remember this season for when they go off and win the Super Bowl that this is going to be the moment when he said this is when they won it all and he did it without Stefan Diggs who was being kept quiet all day he found Gabriel Davis he, he you know he gave him four touchdown passes it was all it was just the narrative was was lining up perfectly that Josh Allen had suddenly become the the, the MVP the guy who could single-handedly win games. All he was reliant on was the best defense in football, not giving up 42 points in the biggest game of the year, not making incredibly bad mistakes in final drives, leaving Tyreek Hill free at the end of regulation when all they had to do was stop them getting into field goal range. All they needed to do, all Allen needed to do was for the rest of his team to perform at the level they performed all season, and they couldn't do it. They let him down. And I feel so sorry that now he has to pick things up and start again and to go right back to the start. Because this is, I mean, this is one of the, the things about NFL seasons or whatever. It builds up to this crescendo and crescendo and crescendo. And if you're the team that doesn't win at the end, you have to go all the way back and start again with another regular season, another 17 games of kind of playing through cold Novembers or and whatever, or the, the weather in Buffalo, having to deal with the weather in Buffalo. It must suck because they really, this was the game the Bills had been planning for all year. They had a, a, an idea of how they should do it. They had finally formed their identity. Their defense was looking scary good. Josh Allen was on the form of his life and they th- pulled it off. They, they'd, gotten, they'd gotten into a shootout against the Kansas City Chiefs and they'd won it twice and yet they didn't win it because their defense couldn't actually stepped up when it did. Credit to the, the Chiefs, they've overcome a lot of obstacles this season. The the way teams have figured them out with the shell, the cover two defenses, that they figured out how to do the long drives, the slow asphyxiation. Mahomes has learned that he doesn't have to be Superman on, on every throw, that he can just do the, the sensible thing and they will get there. He's learned how to use his lesser lights, the Pringles and McKinnons, to, to pull them in and everything. He's learned how to he's maximize his scrambling and everything. The, the defense has stepped up an awful lot from where it was earlier in the season. So all credit to the Chiefs. I mean, when you win the game, when you win a game like this, you deserve to go through. But honestly, this was my heart breaks with Buffalo Bills. And even though I'm a Pats fan and therefore should hate the Bills, man, this this was their game and this felt like this was their year. And now it's not. And now they have to start all over again. And you do wonder, is this going to be the thing that happens every year that they come up against the Chiefs and they fall just short? Hopefully not, because I think this team deserves a Super Bowl sooner rather than later. 
to to be fair to the Buffalo defense, like the 13 second situation, not acceptable. There's no way that should have happened. I know you can't see a timeouts and stuff like that, so it made it a bit more difficult. You can't just like protect the, the sidelines, whatever like that. But at that point, they had been exhausted. Patrick Mahomes in this game was probably the most frustrating player to play against in any game I've seen. Like he's had dominant games before, but in this game, he seemed to absolutely just rip the heart out of this defense again and again because they had Mahomes dead to rights. It felt like four, five, six times in the first half, and each time Mahomes would magician his way out of it. Like the second touch that they had here had two guys free on him coming at him full speed and he just off his back foot throws it off and then gets the touchdown uh, to Pringle into a window that's basically the size of, of a postage stamp and then early on he was rushing the ball getting out of things and rushing the ball for like 30 like chunk yard chunks and he was just he was breaking their back again and again and then at, uh, when the game came down to the 30 seconds that just felt like the culmination of the kind of like the morale that he had sapped completely from them with the obviously the execution in overtime just capping that all off and the overtime it just felt like it was done once once that coin had been flipped in favor of Kansas City it was just it was truly something ridiculous like you think about that like that throw he made kind of like I know he does like these weird angle throws but he had one like that almost probably reminiscent of that really bad action film Wanted where they bend bullets and oh, it was yeah. just one ball where he just like <laughs> bent the ball in an arc that's just like that's just not possible like he was just doing these ridiculous things, breaking their back again and again, and it just felt a combination, yeah, like, as I said, combination. And, like, the, the first, like, stanza or two of this game, like, the first half, was really, really fascinating. Like, even though there was only 14 points uh, each at the half, it was really, really fascinating because you could see both play, both teams playing in a way to try and almost, like, come hither, like, offense, kind of like, you know, uh, Allen was using the quick outs to the uh, running back again and again, you know, pulling the Kansas City defense forward, pulling them to kind of play closer to the box so that, you know, Diggs or in this case, Gabriel Davis would have those big play potential. And of course, you had that big touchdown in the third quarter when it looked like Buffalo might be might might be on the back end when they were down by nine points. But they just they instantly get that touchdown to, to swing the game back because they'd just been playing so patiently. And on the other hand, Mahomes as well was playing very patiently, taking those rushes early on, obviously passing it to hill underneath a lot and then that just kind of seemed to slowly slowly wear down the two defenses obviously the Bills have a good defense Kansas City don't have a bad defense it's improved a lot but obviously with Matthew that definitely had an effect with, with the plays across the middle and uh, you know obviously uh, it's definitely uh, something that they'll be concerned about going forward if he misses the, 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 the dirty Dan was tied for most tackles yeah. that's not amount of dirty Dan I want to see on the field <laughs> yeah but like just like that first half was like uh, was like obviously the, the the last two minutes of this game absolutely take over your mind and it's like, hard to remember everything. But the the the, o- the other part of this game was really fascinating. It, like I think Sean, you talk about like when you say why you like the NFL, it's like it's giant men uh, playing chess, you know. And that's what the first like half or three quarters of this game felt like until you suddenly broke the dam and all of that work that they put in finally just came true in this insane end to the game and just these two quarterbacks playing at their absolute limit like overclocking and just defeating defenses through sure through sheer will they're in, like they're insane talents with Mahomes obviously with his arm talent and everything else and and Josh Allen like being an absolute tank and just running people over and then just yeah it was just a really really amazing game where I don't think the defense has necessarily lost they were just beaten by quarterbacks who are the future of football that's what I think of when I what I've seen this game and we might think of this game uh, like 10 years now this was the future of football if you don't have a Mahomes or Allen guy who not only is a great quarterback who not only have 
evolve their game to become great understanders of the game, but also have these ridiculous talents and these superpowers that they can use on a on a play to play basis, then you're not going anywhere. Certainly not in the AFC. And to to, to just be uh, present for that and to see it and to enjoy it was uh, yeah really 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 good. And yes, I feel so bad for Josh Allen. This definitely feels like you know this is a team standing between him and you know being a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. But you know as as a bystander, yeah, long may these games continue because uh, they're pretty pretty fucking epic. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's it, as you say. Like there's there's two very take the to the first half even the first three quarters to that final selection like the methodical way that they came into the game so like Bill's first touchdown seven minutes the Chiefs first touchdown six minutes the Bill's next set of it five and a half minutes the Chiefs next touchdown six and a half minutes like it's all these slow methodical and afterwards like seven minutes three minutes and then you just get down to the tail end and it's like touchdown 52 seconds touchdown 49 seconds field goal 13 seconds it was just the range of different strategies on show as the game progressed was was remarkable to me all that interesting stuff and all those long drives which i'm sure the advertisers hate you know they'll be forgotten probably in the in the in the midst of time but i think that those are the things that set up what we saw at the end here those are things that exhausted these defenses and left Mm. them defenseless and made people uh, doubt themselves and yeah just two guys playing at the absolute peak of their power it's only a shame that we don't get to see any more of josh allen because he, he has been perfect in, he was literally perfect against new england scoring on every single drive he was nearly perfect in this game and to see him leave in this fashion yeah it's, it's heartbreaking but uh, i definitely think he'll be back i know they'll be changing buffalo in terms of the coaching and maybe the the per- like some of the personnel but i think the core of this team is there it should be back and yeah, I hope. I, like, I certainly hope this isn't the end of the the Bills as the uh, one of the premier powers in the AFC. Now, that lovely note, we'll go and have a look at the upcoming championship matches. Okay, so first up, we've got the AFC Championship. Cincinnati are now travelling to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. We've gone for the Chiefs across the board in this one. This should be a very exciting matchup. The Cincinnati Bengals obviously won at home when they played the Chiefs three or four weeks ago. That was a very tight game, very exciting and really, really, really fun. Chiefs look to be a little bit more on touch on offence, a little bit more explosive at the moment than they were even in that game. But the problem remains, they allowed Jamar Chase to go for over 200 yards against them and absolutely just kind of have their way with them in this most recent game even though they were able to shut down Stefan Diggs that meant that they were allowing Gabriel Davis to go for just over 200 yards on them they have potentially Tyrion Matthew their main safety going to be out for this there is there is mention that one or two other players should be back as well though which will be quite useful because to be honest the less of Sorensen and Hughes I see on the back end the happier I'd be but this is a question of can Kansas City actually stop or at least slow down Cincinnati in a way that they didn't three weeks ago I know that they were away for that game and this one's at home and everything but like this is a Cincinnati team that's gritted out tough wins, took the nine sacks and were able to not get as much going, but were still able to, to do it last week. They've got to be confident given that they've won the two games. They've got to be very confident given that they beat the Chiefs three or four weeks ago. And as I say, like there's almost an element of free money here because I think no one outside of possibly me thought the Cincinnati Bengals could go this far this year. So yeah, like it's it, it's a dangerous matchup for the Chiefs, to be honest. Like This is the type of team that can go at them. The one thing is that Cincinnati's defense hasn't been playing quite up to the level that it was a couple of weeks ago 
in that matchup against the Chiefs. But I like I see the Chiefs edging it slightly. But what do you guys think? Where where, where do you think the main matchups are? For me, this is about uh, what we've seen is weaknesses, right? We one the thing that would worry me about the Bengals is this offensive line obviously has been exposed. Now the Titans are one of the better pressure teams in terms of defensive pressure, where the Chiefs is not qu- quite their style. But that is an obvious weak point that you can kind of target if you can. I mean, if they can get at Burrow half as often as the Titans did, then there's going to be trouble because if the Chiefs play at the level offensively that we saw against the Bills, then the Bengals are going to have to be able to keep pace and that's going to require converting these otherwise the field goals they've been kicking the last few weeks into touchdowns. And to do that, I mean, you're going to need more than one option, right? I mean, Jamar Chase is great and everything, but do does Burrow have a second option? I mean, T. Higgins or whatever. Does he have a second option that he trusts as much? Or does he have an option that he trusts them to throw the entire game in his direction, right? That's what could happen. Yeah. This is what happened with the Bills. Is The Bills had Diggs taken away and Allen was willing to trust Gabriel Davis to get it done. Does Burrow have an equivalent player that he's willing to throw 75% of the balls to in that situation. So that's one side of it going. This Bengals offense is going to have to step up for what it's been doing for the past few weeks in order to keep competition. And I just, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen, especially if the offensive line is, is targeted in a way that you, you can just, you just know someone like Andy Reid is going right. That is the weak spot. We've got to fight, figure out a way to, to pressure them nonstop. On the other side, I mean, the Bengals, I mean, they've got, they've got an interesting defense. They have a defense that I, I have liked watching and I have praised members of their secondary. Awuzie is, is always fun to watch, but they do have weaknesses there. You know, Apple, Bates and stuff. So you'd wonder if, if the Chiefs start to, to start maybe tackle, maybe to try these long passes to Hill and, and to Kelty to open up that up again. Do the Bengals have a response there? So I look at it and I go, and just in pure talent, the Chiefs are a better team. Okay, they've had their struggles and they've had their difficulties throughout the year, but it feels like they've solved the problems that have come before them. They've solved how defenses have figured out the offense so the offense finds a new way to win games their own defense struggled a bit so they found a way to respond and Spags got them got them firing up and doing great things once again so I feel the Chiefs have answered all the questions that come up against them but there are these questions against the Bengals how good is this offensive line how good is the secondary against really good teams that I don't feel the Bengals have, have answered enough and I think they're going to be exposed because I, I I did say it last week I felt that the Chiefs builds was the real AFC championship game whoever won that should be a heavy favorite I just can't see I don't think it's the Bengals year yet maybe two or three years down the line that they, they can be at the level to challenge the Chiefs but I don't think they're there yet I kind of think like Andre Reid will need like a spray bottle on the sideline and then every time Spagnolo tries to call up a blitz he should just spray him and say no bad 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 no Bold. no no blitzing no blitzing no blitzing because in that game that they lost to the Bengals earlier this year, like they got plenty of pressure on Joe Burrow. They got four sacks. They got 10 QB hits. They were hitting him a lot, but we know that Joe Burrow, he's like Chumba Wumba, you know, he's going to kick back up again and he's going to keep fighting. But the difference is that they were getting pressure because it's Spagnolo and he loves his blitzes and he loves being incredibly aggressive and he loves, you know, trying to overclock these guys is that Joe Burrow's like, fine, whatever. I'm just going to give it the one that we've got man to man coverage and Jamar Chase against like various Ward or Sneed or, or Hughes or whoever like I'm going to take that 900 times out of a of mm. ni- 901 like I'm just going to keep blasting away and he 
blasted them for 266 yards and three touchdowns and he was absolutely dominating these guys who obviously are are fine but they're not elite cornerbacks none of these guys are going to be able to take Jamar Chase in one-on-one coverage so Spags is going to have to you know pull a safety over there to help he's going to have to give his like not put them on the island and trust that he can get pressure with a four-man rush he can get a pressure with Frank Clark and Chris Jones and these guys and that they can play solid you know technical defense on the other side like a tight match if he comes back that's obviously a huge fill up for them because if they try to do the blitzing shit again they're going to get blasted by Burrow and give them a window to get back into this game like it feels good to sack a quarterback right but in this game I don't think that'll be that necessarily that good of an outcome for them because if they're getting it via blitzing it'll be at their own cost in the long run I feel like and like they do have other guys T Higgins has, has stepped up at times if they do choose to uh, like put a lot of resources on the chase uh, Tyler Boyd is a very effective wide receiver so they do have other weapons but first the Chiefs need to prove to me that they're actually willing to do that like actually willing to learn and actually because they didn't learn during that game and they, they definitely need to learn in this game so yeah just interesting from that perspective and I think on the other hand I think we saw that the Cincinnati Bengals with DJ Reader the defensive line has definitely lost a bit of their spark, but uh, in terms of stopping the run, I think they're pretty they're pretty good at that. They'll they'll be pretty effective. So I think this might be a game where Kansas City will come out pretty early and be uh, willing to uh, to work Mahomes pretty hard and try and get an early win. I think to get an early lead that would definitely help them. Although it wasn't enough against the uh, the Bengals previously, uh, but they will try to establish the run. They will obviously have learned the lessons of of the two high shells and all that kind of stuff. So uh, they won't go completely away from it. But yeah, I expect that they'll. Uh, run the ball pretty well, but uh, I think DJ Reid will be key there, and then Patrick Mahomes obviously will do Patrick Mahomes thing uh, if they win this game. Like the Bengals obviously shouldn't have won that game against the Chiefs. They had the Chiefs had a big win, but it just felt like the Chiefs were not able to learn the lesson of how to stop Joe Burrow um, in that game. If they've learned that lesson, then this should be uh, not an easy, but uh, should be a. Don't, don't don't all man blitz when it's like third and twenty eight. Yeah, just don't. It's probably. <laughs> It's probably fairly solid advice. You know, like this is obviously the Chiefs are a better team. We've just seen them beat what very much might be the second best team in the entire NFL in the in the build. So it's impossible to pick against them now. But yeah, they just need just that one change if they can stop Jamar Chase absolutely dominating them. I think they should be able to edge this out. But it should be a fun game, and we know with Joe Burrow, the offense will always be fun to watch. Yeah. So this should be a. It could be more like the kind of all-out shootout that we had. Uh, we we got in the last two minutes rather than the, the tense thing building up to that. And I do think it's going to come down to like I said, they start bracketing Chase, him just going right. You know, today is a T Higgins day or something like that. And uh, next up, San Francisco at the LA Rams. Uh, we've gone for the Rams across the board here. Look, as we said, San Francisco. Very well coached, managed to got it out there, but it doesn't feel like they should be this far in the competition. But again, we've also picked against them every round so far. The Rams played out of their skins last week and looked great, but weird choo-choo in the fourth quarter meant that it became a very close game and... We're not sure if that means that they're going to, as Sean was saying earlier, come back stronger, thinking now they know that they've been able to achieve this, or whether it's going to shake them a bit to think, oh, Jesus, no lead is safe. Maybe we're not all that good. But they have a defense that was ready to pop off on lads, like cause an awful lot of disruption. This is a San Francisco team that doesn't have a million weapons. So the idea of the two or three superstars on the LA Rams defense being able to match up with them does kind of track better here than if it was against a team that has five or six top end pass catchers or something like that but yeah like it's it'll be interesting because this will be a very tough defense from San Francisco for Stafford to face as well and there's a lot of history between these two teams it's an interesting one because I don't want to I don't, I don't want to like jinx it here but I would imagine the Rams are going to be able to kind of semi walk this but I've said that against teams against Ooh. San Francisco beforehand and I've been entirely wrong on that so I don't know 
ob- objectively, you are correct. Objectively, the Rams are a better team, a more explosive team. Their defense has, as I said, been getting very scary. It feels like in the last couple of weeks, they've actually stepped up to being Von Miller's getting back to being Von Miller, Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, maybe questionable, but you know he, he probably won't be much use here because this is mostly a yards after the catch uh, defense, not a, a kind of X receiver dominated offense uh, on the on the 49ers side. But all of the little trends, all of the little histories here don't pull that way. The 49ers are 5-0 and with Jimmy G starting for them. Uh, Kyle Shanahan seems to have the hoodoo over Sean McVay. And like just to say, like these are two of the best young coaching minds in, in the NFL today. And yet, when I see them, they, they remind, like we all did uh, university debate back today, much to our shame, but they don't they seem like the two kind of guys who would have been like in a quarters of worlds or something like that. Just two complete dorks. You know, Kyle Shannon <laughs> with his oversized cap, Sean McVay with his way, way overcompensating demeanor. It's like, yeah, I love football, but they're both complete dweebs who just have found this one thing that they're way, way too invested in. And because they obviously have their history, they used to be on the Washington uh, football team's uh, staff back in the day. Along with with LeFleur. Yeah, just just, just as an aside, just because that part of the league, what an insane fucking set of, like, just assistants that they had there and did nothing with. (laughs) Oh, well, you have the younger Gruden there. You have to keep him on board, of course, you know. Jay Gruden, of course, the the defensive genius behind that that, uh, orgy tree season. Mm -hmm. But, like, look, like, these two guys, like, they're really invested in football and obviously they have a budding rivalry, but, yeah, it, it just has a... It's just kind of hard to take seriously because they're both such big dorks. But the history of this is that the 49ers have managed to beat the Rams again and again. And, he, you know, Kyle Shanahan and, these, uh, and, and, and Sean McVay both run a very similar scheme, obviously coming all the way from the Mike Shanahan scheme at its base um, with its own running scheme and with the yards after the catch and stuff like that. But it seems like, uh, you know, D'Amico Ryans and the 49ers have been pretty good at, a, at changing this. And, like, look, if you literally go back to Week 18 where the Rams were dominating in the first half, uh, I think 17 points up, and then they blew that game in overtime. That gives you an indication that there is something here. Sometimes, like a guy, like for, we talked about last week, Tom Brady creates jitters, and the 49ers' record against the Rams is exactly the kind of record that might create jitters. And, you know, maybe that damn smile from uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, too. How can you resist that? So, it's it, like, objectively, yes, the Rams should win this game, but the 49ers and the history that these two coaches have and the history of Jimmy G against the Rams just gives you a significant amount of doubt. Like if, the, if the 49ers are going to win this game, um, then their defensive line, which itself has been really, really scary, of course, they will need to get pressure on Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford, for most of that game against Tampa Bay, wasn't really feeling the heat, but we have seen that other teams, when they get him get under his skin, get him under pressure, he has thrown up a hero ball or two that was definitely not recommended. Like Obviously, we know the, four, like the Rams' defensive line is going to be really good, but the 49ers defensive line that they can live up to their expectation if Bosa is, is playing at his peak if Armstead plays well again then that can also be a major factor and I think for the 49ers of course you know uh, they didn't need it against the Packers because you know the Packers beat themselves but the 49ers will need to establish the run in particular and we know that when they are able to get Elijah Mitchell going and get Debo Samuel going in the run and just kind of pull the defense up towards the line of scrimmage and that opens up the opportunities for George Kittle and Debo Samuel and, and Brandon Ayuk um, to get free to get those yards after the catch and to, to you know, make Jimmy G look good because Jimmy G obviously is a significantly worse quarterback than Matt Stafford. Yeah, hey, he he, he gets results. He he loves those in routes. He gets his results, and if he can just avoid his like three interceptable passes being intercepted, the, the guys can just drop those. Then yeah, I give the 49ers a shot. They've been impressive. I think Sean has talked them up, and he's been right on that. Uh, and given the history, yes. But look, Rams, yes, better team. Everything says you should win, but uh, I wouldn't quite make it the walk off that you're uh, talking about, Connor. 
You want to talk about NFL as as, che- as a chess game, this is going to be a fascinating chess game because not only do we have two great coaches and two great coaching teams, but two teams who know each other an awful lot, that, that there's the intimacy of divisional rivals and that the hoodoo of the fact that the Niners have beaten the Rams, I think, six times in a row or something now. So it's going to be, it's fascinating. It's going to be fascinating in that sense that they're going to have plays and counterplays and plans and counterplans and it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. And I think, I think as a result, it's going to be quite close. I can't see either of these teams pulling away from the other because the other two, the other team knows them so well that they're going to have answers for an awful lot of what they can, can throw at them. So when it comes down to fundamentals, then it's about who you trust, right? Uh, the problem I have with the 49ers and I, and I've loved watching them and I, uh, the, the two wins in the playoffs that they've had against the Cowboys the, and the Packers were just, they were exhibitions of just, I mean, I really loved watching them, especially in the defensive end. They can they can stifle any offense uh, out there for for long periods of time. But there's always the worry of Jimmy G. There's always the worry that they have a very obvious weak spot. They have they have a player who's not clearly not as good as the as his teammates, who has always got the mistakes in them. And so either you have to sit situation where Jimmy G tries a couple of risky things and ends up getting picked off a couple of times, which which is one way the Niners offense tends to go. Or you have what happened last week where Jimmy G plays a bit more conservative and gets away with his throws, but the Niners only score six points on offense, right? Like there is there is a worry here that if, if the Niners are going to win this game, given how good the Rams, and efficient the Rams are offensively, and given that Stafford has finally got himself into a place where he realizes how to avoid the mistakes, or I don't know, maybe he hasn't, maybe he still has a few interceptions I'm still in him, but there, there's there's Cop that there's there's OBJ's having a, a kind of a great year. They've got their running back core back together. Acres is looking like he's getting back to his himself. Jordan Michelle is quite a useful thing. There's there's so much in that Rams offense, and they're well coached, and they know what they're doing from an identity point of view. That the Niners are going to have to score more than six points offensively if they want to win this game, and. When they're up against a defense which has Aaron Donald and Von Miller playing at a high level, Jalen Ramsey coming hopefully back to a high level, I just can't see the, the Niners offensively scoring enough points to win this game no matter how well Shanahan schemes it, no matter how well they come in with a game plan, no matter how well constructed those 24 plays are. I just feel that they have to, they're going to have to take risks to score points and you take risks with Jimmy G and it's inevitably going to lead to bad reads bad throws and, and interception. And at the end of the day, as much as it's, it's weird to say this after whatever the, the 12 years of watching him in the NFL, I trust Matt Stafford in the situation more than I trust Jimmy G, which is why I think the Rams are going to win this game. But I do think it is going to be tight. I think it will come down to the last two minutes, a drive or an interception at the end to, to kill the Niners. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for the 49ers secondary to get exposed. I, like, it's not a good secondary. There's obviously major deficiency there, but just the defensive line has managed to, to patch them up and get pressure on guys so quickly they haven't quite been exposed. But like, mm. look, if that defensive line isn't playing at a high, high level, then that will get quickly exposed. Cup will have a few, well, Cup will probably have over 100 yards no matter what, but he could have one of his like 200 yard type games. But uh, yeah, I think the defensive lines for me actually on both sides will be the key to this game. If either of them takes a step back, I could easily see the other team managing to eke it out. Both these defensive lines have dominated um, so far in, in the playoffs, but I think they're both playing in the situations where they will need to play at their best to get their teams over the line, in my opinion. No, it should make for a good one now. And then obviously we'll be coming back and discussing obviously how those games go and then running our most important i think episode of the year our pro bowl preview i've been i've been pouring over the rosters back and forth and boy howdy do i have at least four hours of opinions on this 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to split it into two podcasts just, yeah, yeah. just oh, yeah. to give the, the listeners. Well, well, we'll, have, we'll have an AFC podcast, an NFC podcast, <laughs> and then a preview of the match. Indeed. And then a but, review uh, mm. of the match afterwards, separate to the Super Bowl yeah. preview. Yeah, we'll find, we'll find like 10 minutes to talk about these two games, I suppose, the, the, these two championship games. But, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. They, probably, they won't live up to the Pro Bowl, let's be honest. They won't. Like, come on. It's the best of all. Like, it's just yeah, so consistent a product as well. <laughs> No, any other crack with yourselves for the rest of the week? No, I think I might. I might have some friends from my PhD days might be going for pints, so I might have to do the whole going to pints thing, which I haven't done in a while. Wow, but, very exciting. Um, nature is healing and all that. But apart from that, no, I don't think so. What about yourself? Fits any plans? Uh, nothing crazy planned at the moment. I think it's actually kind of a weird lacunae week in the, in the sport, so I might become like the final person to watch that new Spider-Man film. I'm considering that. I, I'm, I might be going to see that on Saturday. I don't know yet. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see what they do with the Spider-Man one because I think Andrew Garfield had the best Spider-Man 1, Tom McGuire had the best Spider-Man 2, and now I need to see if, if they can stick the landing for the perfect... So you could have a perfect Spider-Man trilogy with three separate spider <laughs> yeah, no, I'm obviously just wrapping up with some work. I'm starting my new job on Tuesday next week, so very exciting. Yeah, just working, digging in the garden. That'll be fun. I suppose that'll do us for this week, so it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This is all for Thanks for listening.